Mick. It's, uh, I feel been really good recently. It's strange, isn't it, having people so kind of far-flung. I need to have my glasses on just to see the youth over there. Can I just have a wave from the older youth? No, none of them even listening to me. Can I have a wave from the older youth? Ah, oh, there we go. They're moving forward for me. Thank you. It's always better to realise I don't smell too much. Um, so it is, uh, it, it's great, isn't it, to do these things on, on family. We've done a number of uh, things. We started off, if you remember... Um, uh, Derek, uh, David, Harry, Jim, whatever, uh, talked to us, didn't he? Talked about us as a family and also about hospitality. And then last week, we had a, we had a fantastic discussion at our growth group because we were talking about um, disagreeing and how we as Christians can sometimes disagree with each other, but we don't want to fall out because we do have different opinions as Christians. And then... Um, Today, this is something that I'm, I'm really uh, passionate about, which is all about fathering, spiritual fathering. Um, and uh, let me just, uh, before I start, let me just read some verses. We'll spend quite a lot of time in this, so if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn it up. It's in 1 Corinthians 4, and it starts at verse 14. Um, now, uh, the context to this, I think it's important to give the context it's, it's 1 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 14. The context of this is um, Paul has talked to the Corinthian church that he knows very well, he's got a real heart for, and he's challenged them. He said, you know what? You're not very humble. He said, you know what? You're not always walking in my ways. And a lot of 1 Corinthians 4 goes through these various things, and that's the context for what we're about to read. So... 1 Corinthians 4 verse 14 says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved, my faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, as, you, uh, as we look at your word, Lord Jesus, Lord, as you speak to us, as you uh, uh, raise the whole idea of fathering and you as Father God, Lord, we want to be open to you and to the way that you speak to us. Lord, I know for some of us this is quite a sensitive subject, maybe even um, some people who listen to this later in the week on the internet. This will be a sensitive subject. Lord, will you be here by your spirit? Will you touch us and encourage us? Will you bless us? And Lord, will you help us as a church to be that stronger and stronger family of God in you? Lord, that's our heart, Lord Jesus, to be a, a family that marches forward in you. Amen. Okay, so I uh, looked at my passage. Um, uh, there's uh, somebody called Johnny Dyer, um, who I will talk about a little bit later. Did this get a little bit further up? That one? Okay. Just have to wait. Oh, it's going down. It's going up. Lovely. Good. Otherwise, with my, um, my glasses, I only focus on half the sheet. I only see half of it. Anyway, uh, a, a, a friend who I'll talk about later called Johnny Dyer, as one or two of you will know him. I said, look, Johnny, I'm talking on spiritual fathering. Have you got any words of wisdom for me? 
And he gave me a fantastic quote. See what you think about it. It's from Orphans Who Rule the World. And it says this, nearly 300 of the world's most influential leaders were orphans. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Charles V, Louis XIV, George Washington, and Napoleon, as well as Lenin, Hitler, Stalin, and of course religious leaders such as Buddha, Confucius, and Mohammed. None ever heard a loving father say, well done, son, never rejoiced and relaxed um, in the knowledge and security of a father. Unwillingly, churches have given birth to a wave of children who are spiritual orphans, fatherless leaders. Spiritual fathering is one of the greatest needs of today's generation. They are, in fact, these people's spiritual orphans. We have many orphans today, but most of them will grow into rebels. Now, it's interesting, when I read that list, there are some people there that I have quite a lot of respect for. Somebody like, say, Julius Caesar. We think of him in the history books. We think of him as somebody we've got a huge respect for, don't we? And I've read a book about him recently. And some of the things he did were ruthless. Some of the ways he treated people that he knew well, his friends, were ruthless. And so he got to where he wanted to. He was, yes, a great leader. But did he have genuine friends. A book I'm going to quote a lot. It's a very small book, and if you get a chance to read it, I really encourage you. It's The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. And he said this, there are so many people who are orphaned, not just from their physical parents, but who've been set adrift by the lack of spiritual and emotional roots. Somehow in our generation in 2020, the idea of fatherhood is different to what it was when I grew up in the 80s. There's a different concept of fatherhood, and some people will feel that lack of fatherhood. And this actually says it's same in the church. We've taken that concept in the church, and we don't have that same concept of fathering one another in the church. Let's give you uh, just some facts, and these may uh, uh, speak to you. Um, in uh, the UK, there are 1.8 million lone parent families. 1.8 million lone parent families. And we may well have some here today. 90% of those families are headed up by women. So there's a real element that the idea of fathering is lost to many people. And you know, if you're like me, um, and you had a father who was with you, there may be still some of you, and, and some of my fathering, um, I would say is a distant fathering as well. It's, it may be that your father was present, but wasn't actually there. One in three children under 16 will experience their parents splitting up. One in three children will experience their parents splitting up. Do you know, if, um, one of the things that raised this, this, this uh, idea to me was that... Um, when I talk to people, you know, sometimes you have a really good chat with somebody. Maybe with me, it's, I don't know, late on the Saturday night um, with a beer, and then you suddenly you talk about what's really important. Maybe you've got a friend, and you talk to them for a while, and then you, you get to the nub of things. Quite often, people will then refer back to their father. A number of people um, who have mental health issues, maybe they have a breakdown. When you get to the nub of things, it's to do with the relationship with their father, or 
with their mother. And that relationship is absolutely crucial. I don't know why. Um, I'm amazed uh, at myself. I, um, I went away to school when I was 13. So if you like, relatively normal childhood as a, a, single, pair, a single child till then, and then distance from my family. Um, and my father, I think at times, was very close to me, um, but at times, certainly later on, I didn't feel that close. I had that, that desire to spend more time with him. Um, and I can remember, he died uh, 18 months ago, so if I get slightly emotional, I apologise. Even now, when I think of him, I think back to him and think, of, oh, I'd really like some more good times with him, just to sit down and have a chat, you know, for him to say one of his ridiculously rude jokes to me, and me to pretend to laugh, you know, even those kind of things, you know, just because it was my dad, I kind of want to spend a bit of time with him. I mean, he was from a different generation. He could say jokes that none of us here could get away with. Um, what a guy. <laughs> he, there's, a, there's a great story, and please take this in the, in the spirit that it's, uh, that it's meant. Um, I got um, uh, uh, baptised in the Church of England, or um, um, uh, whatever you call it, yeah, baptised in the Church of England, and then I came to a church like this. I came to City Church, and uh, they, they had a different opinion on baptism. And so I had to really work out what that meant. But essentially what they were saying was, baptism is by full immersion. That's the way Jesus did it. I thought, well, I've just got, how do I do that? And, and then eventually I thought, do you know what? That's the right thing to do. In this time, in this place, to get, I don't know, baptized, rebaptized, whatever you say. Well, that was fine for me to understand and to explain it to my fiance, Andrew, at the time. But to explain to my dad, who was a complete atheist, how was I going to explain to him? Do you know what, Dad? When I got baptised before, that wasn't baptism, but this is real baptism. Why wasn't it? Well, the water wasn't in quite the right... Ah! How was I going to do it? So I did, as we all do, late one night, was sitting there um, chatting with my dad. It often involved a drink. And so I was sitting there chatting to him um, and said, look, Dad, I'm, I'm going to get um, baptised by full immersion. And he looked at me strangely. Kind of like a wry smile on his face. And then he had that, that kind of look of, do you know what? If that's what you want to do, that's acceptance. And he said this phrase, and it may mean more to me than it means to you. He said, you know what? You get baptised in your church, in water, and I'll get baptised in whiskey. Straight down. That was him. That was his acceptance of me, because that was his relationship. You know, with my dad, we always dreamed of doing certain things. And I always thought about it in the seven years before he died, when he really wasn't well. I always thought about it with him. We always said... We all said we'd go away together, just the two of us. We'd go to France, we'd go to some really cheap hotels that wouldn't cost anything at all, and we'd, we'd drink cheap red wine and play a lot of cards. We always said we'd do that, but we never did. And I often, even now, feel, oh, why didn't I take the time? Why didn't I do that? Because actually, that relationship with him means more to me now than in a way it should do. It, it has a lot of meaning for me. I wonder if I were to ask you to put your hands up. Don't put your hands up, please. If I would ask you to put your hands up, if you feel that you had a distant father or a non-existent father, how many people here would put their hand up? And I wonder if I asked you how you think it affected you, how, what you would say about it, how you would talk about it, whether you'd want to. I wonder that. 
Do you know, even those who have a strong father, and I know I'm saying that, we've got some sons and fathers and daughters and fathers here in the church, you know, even as, as I'm saying that, there is still that need, even if you have a strong father, of spiritual fathering. People can, can help you in the Lord, and that's what I'm going to talk about mainly today. But I've realised I'm touching all sorts of different issues, and so it may be that if I've touched something, a raw nerve, please do take an opportunity of prayer at the end. Take the opportunity just to pray through it and think through it. Um, I think the other thing I'm going to say is fathering is not male. Yeah, I know, Bob's really lost it today, isn't he? Fathering is not male. I'm talking about something that is not gender-specific. The reason I'm talking about fathering, because it's modelled on our Father God, isn't it? And we talk about our Father in heaven. We talk about that, our Father God. But when I'm talking about this, it's equally relevant to ladies and older ladies, or to that mothering idea. The trouble is, if I use the word mothering all the way through, people would get completely the wrong idea, wouldn't they? Being very mothered isn't always seen as in a positive way. So, but this is not a one-gender thing, as you'll see as I go through. So I wondered if for my first example of spiritual fathering or spiritual parenting, I'd use... Uh, um, Andrea as an example. Now, I've talked this through with Andrea. I had to have quite a long chat about it. But um, let me just uh, give the story. Andrea would describe Viv Hibbin as her mother in the Lord. Their relationship started um, in normal church life. You know, prayer ministry in our previous church. That kind of support that you sometimes ask for. And then the, rela the relationship developed into a stronger friendship. Andrew would say she's always blessed by the time they spend together. She met up with her recently, and you could see Andrew's distinctly lift by spending time with her spiritual mother, spiritual father. They pray for each other. It becomes quite mutual at some stage, and they particularly seek each other out at times of difficulty. That's an example, if you like, of me just trying to put this in a, a gender-neutral way. The reason this has come to me, and you may say, why are you talking on this, Bob? Surely, you know, you've talked on discipleship, you've talked on Barnabas. Do you remember those? Yes? We talked on those, we did it, we did it, didn't we, Mick? Where's Mick? He's gone. There's Mick. We talked on discipleship. Why is he talking about this again? And that's because it's just been raised in me. I know I had a couple of people coming to me um, that I've known for a long time. And they've kind of begun to seek me out for approval of things. I think, well, why ask me? You know, they just kind of seek, seek me out a little bit in that kind of fathering way. Now, interestingly, both these people are older than me. So it, age isn't always in there. And I've just thought, you know, there is a real need for fathering, for spiritual fathering. And that is not age dependent. We all need that spiritual father. We all need somebody just, just to put a hand on our shoulder and say, do you know what? I get it. I understand it. Do you know what? You're okay. It's okay. Jesus is with you. Come on, let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. Okay. Um, let me uh, go back to the passage. So let's go back to this 1 Corinthians 4 passage. And let's pick out certain elements of spiritual fathering from that. So verse 14 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. So he's challenged. Yeah, Paul has challenged the church in uh, Corinth. He's challenged the individuals and he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, so it's a positive, encouraging thing, but to admonish you as my beloved children. There's a sense of strong affection and relationship there, isn't there? 
There's, it's, these are not just, okay, right, um, let me see, uh, let's pick out Mick, um, and uh, who shall we pick out? Somebody randomly, David, okay, uh, let's just put those two together. Whether you know each other or not, spiritual father, spiritual son, go. That's not in it, is it? There's an attempt here of the beloved. It's, it's kind of that strong relationship that's developed out of normal church life or normal working. And that's really important, that there's got to be a relationship there. You can't just pick people up randomly and put them together in some sort of um, uh, link. And the other part in that, uh, which comes actually slightly before, is the idea of admonish, admonishing. Do you know we're not great, are we, at challenging or rebuking each other as Christians. When we do it, we sometimes do it in a way that upsets everybody, and then when we don't do it, we think, oh, I really wanted to say that, but I didn't know how to say it. I wanted to say it in an encouraging way, but actually here, it's talking about admonishment being a positive thing. And actually, if you read through the, the previous part to uh, verse 14, it is quite challenging. It said, come on, you're not being humble. You're talking about doing things you're not actually doing. And so there is this opportunity of that strength relationship actually allows that challenge. And we do need that as Christians, don't we? We need to be able to have somebody that says, come on, get on with it. I was uh, at work the other day. I've got to be really careful what I say here. I was at work the other day and somebody firmly disagreed with me. And I said, thank you very much. I like it when people disagree with me. I really do. And in the job that I've got, sometimes people don't want to disagree with you because they don't want to offend you. But we need people who can challenge you. I'm not talking about being negative. I'm not talking about an over-demanding or, or destructive thing. We're just talking about that gentle warning, that gentle challenge, that gentle instruction. And then we get to verse 15, which I think is the real crux of this passage. And if you like the crux of what I'm going to say today, the, the key part of it. And I'm going to read it. Just have a look at it. For though you have countless guides in Christ... You do not have many fathers. Although you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. So Paul was talking to the church in Corinth and said, there's lots of people guiding you, but where are the fathers? Now, that word guide is quite interesting. So the word guide in Greek is pedagogos. I don't know if I've said that right. Um, I'm sure Stephen will tell me later whether that's the right pronunciation. He's given me 50-50 on it. Okay, pedagogos. Um, is the Greek for guide. And there's this comparison between guide and father. Well, we don't have an equivalent in 21st century Britain of pedagogus. We don't have an equivalent. But let me just go into the context as it would have been in this kind of uh, Roman-ish community in Corinth. So... F.F. Bruce, the commentator on this passage, says this. The pedagogus was the personal attendant who accompanied the boy, took him to school and home again, heard him recite his lines, taught him good manners, and generally looked after him. He was entitled to respect and normally received it. He was essentially an important slave in a wealthy family who would look after the children. But do a little bit more than that. He would guide them. He'd make sure their manners were right, help them with their homework. I don't know what you would say we have in our community at the moment that we could uh, link that with. Maybe we can link that with uh, an au pair. Some people have au pairs, don't they? Looking after people. But they tend to be kind of 
younger and maybe not necessarily always have the, uh, um, the whole remit of what they do. Maybe they do, I don't know. A guardian. Some people have guardians, don't they? Um, but that's an official title often that keeps going. The thing is, a pedagogus was a slave. And if the slave wasn't wanted, they were there one day and they were gone the next. You could have another pedagogus on Tuesday to a different one to, to one on Monday. So actually, the guardian, the guardian doesn't quite work there. Maybe a foster parent. Maybe a childminder, a tutor, or a teacher. It's that kind of idea. But the pedagogus, the guide, which I'll now call it, um, in order not to get that word wrong again, that guide is something where you are helped, where you are encouraged. Yeah, there, there are elements of that that are within fathering, aren't there? But you don't necessarily get on with the guide. You're just given a guide. And we do, as each other here, we guide each other, don't we? We might pray for each other. We might welcome each other on a Sunday and say, well, you know, can I pray for you this week? But we can do that in a guiding way. That guiding is important, isn't it? That's positive. That's really good. That's part of our relationship in our church. That's part of our family. But this idea of father is a bit deeper because you see the pedagogus was a slave and he could easily be replaced. Barney Coombs, who many of you um, will know, uh, says this, one of the greatest blessings in life a man can have is a spiritual father. It's such a great blessing to have that deep investment into your life. Um, okay, so let's uh, just move on a little bit. Um, I said that's, that's the key part, to understand the difference between a guide and um, a father. But in verse 15, it says this, For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is something that the gospel provides, this, this, the, the foundation for, this spiritual fathering. And you will remember that when you first came to Jesus, you suddenly realized your sin. You realized you weren't right, were you? You needed a saviour to save you. You need to make that commitment to Jesus and say, do you know what, whatever this is, I'm going to follow you. And then you stepped into that realm of having a spiritual father, a perfect father. Whatever your father was like when you became a Christian, you stepped into that world of having a perfect heavenly father. The father who always cared. He was always there. He always wanted the best for you. He would always challenge you if he needed to. But you stepped into that. And I think there's an element here today of acknowledging our heavenly father. God, our heavenly father as well. Um, I wonder whether, um, for the next bit, it might be worth just shutting your eyes and just listening. Um, Floyd McClung describes a heavenly father, and he just summarizes various verses, and uh, it might be something you want to just uh, take away and maybe just see where it is in, in, in the Bible, because each of these are referred to. And he just puts it all into a sentence, that I think is, I might say it twice. So our Heavenly Father, he is patient, he is considerate, he is holy, he is discerning, he is compassionate, he is sensitive, he is caring, he is tender, he is gracious, he is forgiving, he is just, he is loving and kind, he is merciful, 
He is thoughtful. He is generous. He is powerful. He is wise. He is mighty. And he is loving. What an amazing view of our Heavenly Father. Do you know if you had a a father that um, doesn't help you see God in the right way, then see God, our Heavenly Father, our perfect Father, in that context. I think probably reading that out once was fine. Um, Psalm 68, verse 5, describes God like this. I love it. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He is the Father to the fatherless. He is the Father to the fatherless, A protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God is a father to the fatherless. In our confidence, our confidence is in the gospel, isn't it? It's in the gospel that makes a way to our father. Okay, so the final one here uh, that I'm going to talk about is in verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So in terms of spiritual fathering, let's go back to that. That is a model of our heavenly father. In terms of spiritual fathering, these are people we can imitate. It's not just saying, okay, how do I do this in the Christian life? It's saying, I don't know how to do this, but I can see somebody else. I see that's what they do. They seem to be okay. I'm going to do what they do. So rather than working everything out, we have a model of how to do our Christian life. We have a model for what to do. And the idea of imitators, I think, is really important. There are things we can just imitate. We can imitate how they pray. We can imitate how they read the Word of God. We can imitate the words they use. We can imitate what they do when they share. We can even imitate the way that they walk into church. Okay, so that's me going through that passage, just looking at it. So we looked at being beloved, that idea of admonishing or challenging, the question between the guides and the fathers, just to really understand the concept of spiritual fathering. We looked, which I think is so important, at God, our heavenly Father, as the perfect Father, and we talked about the idea of imitation. I'm now just going to give you a few hints. I think I've got six things here about spiritual fathers. Do you know, one thing that we have in this church that I think is an absolute blessing is we have, if you like, an, an, an older group of retired people, don't we? And then we have a, a younger group and a few kind of spattered in the middle. And I think that is so powerful. And it's actually quite unusual for churches, isn't it? Churches tend to be one kind of generation. And, and I just think that, that what I want to say is we need spiritual fathers. We need people who are going to invest in these young people here, not just guide them, not just give them a hint on their life, but to really invest in them. And we need to be investing in the families and the people. And I think that's so important. We need more fathers. Because many people would, disguise, would, dis, would talk about themselves as spiritual orphans. I have to say, in my, in my early Christian life, I had a huge opportunity to do things. But it took me a long time, a long time to find either a discipler or a spiritual father, much, much longer than I ever thought it would. Okay, so let's just talk about six things to do with spiritual father. First of all, strong affection. Strong affection. Barney Coombs in his book, 
says this, a father doesn't use people, he invests in them. There's that idea of wanting to invest. There's that strong affection. Number two, imitation. Picking up something specifically. The idea of somebody that you feel that you can imitate. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join, me, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I don't know if any of you have heard of Wally North. Anybody heard of Wally North? No? He was one of the really early um, uh, house churches in about the 50s. And he was a real preacher. And he used to hold his Bible in a certain way. Absolutely in a certain way. If you saw him holding it like that, you knew it was Wally North. And what he did was he developed a lot of younger preachers. And do you know what they did? They held their Bible in exactly the same way. I mean, they could probably preach however they wanted to, but they held their Bible in the same way because they wanted to imitate Wally North. They were imitating him. They thought, well, if he does that, there's probably something good about it. So that must be the way forward. Okay. Number three, the ability to deal with disappointment. Do you know what? Life throws things at us, doesn't it? Sometimes they're curveball, they come at any age, and suddenly we get to disappointment. And however strong we are in trusting God, they hit us hard. And sometimes we feel they hit us harder than we should do in people who had faith in Jesus, who know that Jesus is always with us, always caring for us. And sometimes just that ability to sit down with somebody in your disappointment, talk it through. Somebody who can look at it at a slight distance can look at it and say, well, you may be disappointed, but actually is this something that God is doing for you and in you? A time to allow pruning. Just to allow pruning. And it may be that it's something um, as a spiritual son you discussed or your spiritual father talks about with you. But it's time to allow pruning. It's a time, number five, to enjoy encouragement. Well done. Brilliant. Do you know what? I think you're doing brilliantly. I know what you've been through, but I think you're doing well. That lifting up that you really want from your heavenly Father, and you can read it in the Bible, but to have somebody next to you to do that is so good. A time to discuss principles. A time to step back and to discuss things in a broader way. Dave Devonish, uh, a leader within uh, New Frontiers, said about fathering leaders, he says, fathers will not want to be concerned with every detail of what their spiritual sons are doing. Fathers can step, spiritual fathers can step back, well, step back into the light. They can step back and just look at what's happening. They can just have an overview and take it out. I don't know about you, when something goes wrong, I'm writing on the detail. I've been that, that in the last couple of weeks. This isn't working. What am I going to do about it? I haven't got this right. But somebody who can just help you to take a step back. and say, oh, I wonder what God is teaching you through that. I wonder what you're learning through that. Um, there's an element of discipling with all this, of coaching, of mentoring. There's an element of pastoring with it all as we pastor one another. There's an all element of uh, counselling as well. Barney Coombs, who I've uh, mentioned already, talks about a spiritual father like this. He said, a spiritual father warns, he urges, he charges, he encourages 
He exhorts, he instructs, he advises, he postures, he reminds, but he gives approbation. That means to put his hand on your shoulder. He whispers in your ear, keep up the good work, hang in there, don't take any notice of them. It's really good, isn't it? It's a real feeling. And then um, I have a, a, had a real privilege, um, I would say about six years ago now, to spend a bit of time with Johnny Dyer. So let me just, uh, I mentioned him earlier. Um, he's uh, an older gentleman. Uh, he actually came here for the commissioning, was slightly bent over. Um, uh, and he's been uh, somebody who's pastored churches uh, for a number of years. And he asked me one day, came up to me at the end of church, he said, would you like to come to Romania with me? Really? Romania? What do you do in Romania? Well, he has a, a ministry around Romania. He was going to go preaching around Romania, but he always tries to take somebody with him. I thought, what great fun. Absolutely brilliant. That I'd, I've never been to Romania. I'll go with him. And I had the opportunity to do all sorts of things. I had the opportunity to see him preach in really odd places. Really strange Romanian churches doing different things. I had the opportunity of seeing him trying to engage with the culture and helping me to do the same. I had the opportunity um, of hearing him preach the same sermon more than once, but adapting it to different things. Um, I had the opportunity um, uh, to minister myself. He gave me that opportunity from his ministry. He he thought I could do something. He believed in me. But the best time I had with him, the best time I had with him, was every day at about 11 o'clock, we would sit down, and Johnny would get out his Bible... And he'd decide which book of the Bible we were going to look at. And we'd, we'd read a chapter together and we'd talk about it. And then <laughs> he'd, always, he'd always have some book he was reading. It's the kind of book I would never get anything from. But it would be um, kind of Victorian Christian in, in a kind of style of English that I couldn't necessarily engage with. And he'd open that up and he'd read a part, part of it. And then the two of us would just kind of to talk about things. And he'd listen to what I said. I had an opinion and he did. And there was just that time together that was so special. And all the things we did, the flights, the, the seeing, eating strange food, it was that time together when we just opened the Bible together. I had a bit of time as if I had a Christian dad. Gosh, that meant a lot to me. That was amazing. One of my uh, favorite stories of uh, discipleship is one for, from Ray Lowe. Uh, Ray Lowe, again... Uh, one of the fathers of uh, our movement. And uh, if you've heard this before, you might start laughing before I get to the end. Um, But he was discipling a young man, and the young man came and knocked at his door one day to come and spend some time with him. And he heard a bit of noise going on inside the house. He thought, gosh, should I go in? Oh, well, I will. And Raylo opened the door, and he said, come in here, come in here. Um, Probably don't go into the rest of the house, just just come and sit down here. He said, I'm just in the middle of having a row with my wife. Um, We'll finish that and then I'll talk to you. So he actually invited somebody in to hear him having a row with his wife. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Maybe you're much more godly than I do and, and your home is much more smooth and don't have those disagreements. But he actually, in terms of his fathering, was saying, do you know what, even in the most difficult time, I'll show you how I do it. Might be right, might be wrong, but at least we can talk about it later. How are we doing time-wise? One of uh, my great uh, bugbears in the Christian life is why don't Christians grow? Do you know what I mean? You've spent time with people, you know them well, 
Um, and they just don't seem to move forward. In fact, some of them seem to move backwards. They move out of love with Jesus. Why don't they grow? Why don't they move forward? I sometimes think that myself. Why don't I do that? Why don't I actually make steps of, steps of, 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 of faith forward? And uh, you don't have to look it up, but I'm just going to read quickly Galatians 4, 3 to 9, that deals with this issue. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved uh, to those that by nature were not gods. But now that you have come to God, or rather been known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? whose slaves you want to be once more. He's looking there, isn't he, at the Galatian Christians, and how can you go back? You've, you've tasted of Jesus and the amazing things. How can you then walk back into it? And we know, don't we? There are times when we, we sin, we do something we shouldn't do, and we walk back into our old life. There are times when we, um, we just do nothing. We get into that, that nothing box that all men have and just stay there for too long. There are times when we don't rest right. There are times when we take disappointment to mean that God doesn't love us anymore. There are times when we don't move forward. But we've all seen that with Christians that we've known. And it, it's something that, that for me is, has always been a question. Why, when you are radically saved, when you're son of the Most High, are you not still radically different a week later? And one of the answers, I think, of this is spiritual fathering. We just need somebody we can go to and say, how do I cope with this? How do I deal with these issues? How do you deal with these issues? What did you do when this happened? when you had a death in the family, when you had a, a difficult situation, when you thought, just, you know what, I just can't do this anymore. What did you do to be able to talk through that with people? We need spiritual fathers to help us along the way. Now, I realise I've raised a number of issues today, and I can see one or two, it's, it's hit quite heavily. Um, but I think it's important, isn't it, to talk about these issues it's to talk, important to talk about our parents, the issue, the, how they've affected us. It's important to look at the perfect Father God. And it's important to talk about how do we actually, in a church, do more than just guide each other, but we father each other. We actually get that involved in each other's lives, that we can support each other on the good times and the bad times. Now, I don't know um, how to finish, but... Um, I thought I might just uh, draw us all to the end of our lives. Do you know, we, 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 uh, we know that if we, if we love Jesus and we know him, we're going to be accepted when we die or when Jesus comes back into, into heaven, aren't we? We're going to accept it into him. 
And what will God say to us? Or what do we want God say, our Father, our Heavenly Father, say to us? Here are two things that I want my Heavenly Father to say to me. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Or, well done, good and faithful servant. We're to be a good and faithful servant. Sometimes we'll need a little bit of help along the way. Would you like to stand? I'm just going to pray. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love the fact that you are our perfect Father. I just want to pray for those now, Lord Jesus, for whom just the issue of their Father is an issue. I pray you'd come and you'd minister and you'd touch by the power of your Spirit. Come now. Come comfort and encourage. Come bless and transform. Come minister by the power of your Spirit, Lord. Come smile. Come say, well done. Come encourage, Lord, by your Spirit. Come now. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you that you are the perfect Father. Absolutely perfect Father. Loving and kind and considerate, thoughtful. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I just want to challenge now, one or two, either those may be hearing this during the week or, or standing here. We need more fathers. We need more fathers. If we're going to make an impact into Herne Bay, that's really going to make a difference over the next 10 or 15 years. We need more fathers. We need more people who can invest in the young men and women. We need more mothers who can invest in the young men and women in our church. I just want to challenge you in that. Come, Lord Jesus. Come bless. Come encourage. Lord, as we worship now, will you be with us by the power of your spirit? Amen.